You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! All the haters out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle! Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown sixth pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we are back for the first time in a few weeks with a Football Friday show. We're going to hear the perspective from the opposing sideline with GreenBayPackers.com digital reporter Wes Hodkowitz. We'll also hear from the assistant coaches on Thursday morning, their press conferences. I've got audio from Coach Boyer, Smith, Welker, and Alphabaum. And finally, your questions via the Twitter mailbag from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and welcome in my guest today from GreenBayPackers.com, Wes Hodkowitz. And joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is Packers.com digital reporter Wes Hodkowitz. Wes, thank you so much for joining me today, and give me a grade on that name pronunciation, if you will. Trev, that is an A-plus name <laughs> pronunciation. I, I've been doing this for a little bit of time now. I actually appreciate the people that just give up. They just go Wes, and then hot, yeah, and they just let it roll off their lips. So actually, I give you a lot of props, and hopefully my tongue of Aloha will pronunciation will be able to do just as much service well it was a, it was a good joke you told me there off air when i asked you to pronounce your name and you said tonga Bailoa, so i really appreciated that uh, you know i'm the kind of guy though that like i'm so worried about it because i struggle with it so much that i literally googled your name and like how to pronounce it and it, there wasn't a lot of good uh, material out there to find that so i had to just uh, bite the bullet and ask you directly so we're gonna get that name right here <laughs> on the podcast and all um, good <laughs> and you mentioned uh some weather out there in in wisconsin this week and i'm sorry that you're coming down here and not getting perfect Christmas weather that I thought you guys probably all assumed you were going to get because it's been 70 degrees here all week, but those temperatures literally will plummet today on Friday. Then again, I'm sure going from whatever you guys are dealing with to 50 degrees is probably a pretty welcome deal, I'd imagine. <laughs> it was four degrees, and I was sho- like shoveling <laughs> off my car to get here this morning to Lambeau. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is interesting, though, right, because I was there in 14 uh, when the Packers came out there and it was, I'll never forget going into that post game visiting locker room and guys were completely drained, right? <laughs> I mean, you wear the home jerseys, the dark green, they had been completely spent. So even though it is what mid fifties, maybe some rain, I think for a lot of these guys in this locker room and several Floridians that are already on this team, uh, th- this is sort of a, a welcome change because it, it can be such a huge advantage for the dolphins. And I think for green Bay, uh, after playing some cold weather games here the last few games, you know, now now having an opportunity to at least turn up the dial a little bit. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big aesthetics guy, and I saw a tweet last week that was like, it feels like we haven't played a full NFL season until we get primetime Packers football where you can see everybody's breath. And we got that on Monday Night Football against the Rams, and I'm a sucker for those aesthetics, man, when you don't have to be out there especially. So uh, uh, that's always cool to see. But down here in the friendly confines of nice, warm December South Florida weather, I always start these podcasts each week at the quarterback position, taking a preview at the other the opposition for the Miami Dolphins. How would you describe the season of Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, statistically, really by 
by any measure, has been one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. But how would you describe his 2022 season? It, it reminds me a lot uh, of some of these years in which he had a, you know, kind of a significant injury that he sort of played through. Um, so, you're, you know, you see the INT numbers are up a little bit. The, the passing percentage points are down a little bit. But the statistic I would love to see with him is just what this offense is doing and what he is doing when Christian Watson's available. Um, you know, the Tampa area native, he, he was out earlier this season. He missed p- part of training camp because he had a knee operation. Then he had two separate hamstring pulls. But since he's been back, he's been one of the more dynamic uh, guys in terms of the rookie class in the NFL. And I think Aaron Rodgers' play in this offense have all kind of inclined with that. Uh, Rodgers, the, the tough thing was that last play when we were in London against the New York Giants, you know, he hurts the thumb and that thing kind of dogged him for a good two months. He finally gets the week off with the bye week two weeks ago. It appears like he's kind of put that behind him. He's still on the injury report with it, but he's a full participant. He's not missing practices. And I thought last week, even other than that one pick that was, you know, that deep ball he was trying to Alan Lazard, I thought he looked a lot more cerebral, a lot more zip on his passes. And it it was just very interesting and fun this week listening to him talk about, you know, his journey. Obviously, Tua had some really nice things to say about him down in Miami. And, and just now having this opportunity to, to kind of welcome in another young, talented quarterback into this league. That's one of the things, one of my big takeaways from him as he's gotten into his later 30s now. He enjoys those opportunities. He enjoys interacting with these guys that that knew him as a player, as a fan. And, uh, you know, just you, you could tell that as a guy that has been a big historian of the game, he appreciates these kind of opportunities. So I think it's going to be a real fun matchup. I was, it was cool to hear him talk about Tua and the praise he gave for all the reasons that we love Tua down here. It's like, he, I mean, he knew, he knew the, the playbook and the, the film and the, and the book on, on Tua Tungavailoa, so that was cool to hear. And, man, you talk about a thumb injury for a quarterback. Like, reminded all the time by being around these guys how they're not like us, right? Like, I can't imagine taking snaps with a broken thumb or, or whatever the, the thumb injury that he had was. It's just, it's so impressive how tough these guys are. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the Christian Watson, the receivers group, and I'm a, I was a big fan of his coming out of college, and I know it's a very young receivers group, and there's lots of talk about, you know, how, you know, these these quarterbacks that have seen it all like Aaron Rodgers, how it's kind of tough to get on the same page with the young receiver because he has all this knowledge and you have to kind of bake it in. How has that progressed as the year has gone along with him and all the young receivers the Packers have so the Packers they, they drafted three guys this year uh, which was almost unprecedented I had a story earlier this season that but it was the first time since 1954 they had three rookie receivers all catch a touchdown pass in the same season what a stat so that's Chris, Christian Watson who they traded up for in the second round of pick traded both of their second round picks to move up to 34 to get them Romeo Dobbs who's just been a revelation for them as a fourth rounder out of Nevada super productive in college but you know some people wonder about the level of competition those type of things he's actually the one that came out and looked most at ease right from the beginning he was the three nfl rookie of the week offensively so really positive production from them and then also samori toure from nebraska was their seventh round pick and he's been coming along as well watson the fun thing about him is similar to what Tariq hill has done now in miami is you figure out what he does well and you help build your offense around it and Watson has been, you know, he has he has work to do as a route runner. He's making a big transition from the, the offense that North Dakota State ran to what the Packers run here and what Rodgers likes to run. But, you know, they're using him on jet sweeps now. They're, they handed the ball off to him on a jet sweep in Chicago. Completely fooled everybody, and he takes it for a touchdown. Seven touchdowns in six games or whatever it was. They he, He's learning this offense, but now the Packers are also learning Christian Watson. And I think from watching last week where Jalen Ramsey's paying spending so much time with him 
and they're giving so much attention to him. He really has changed the complexion of this thing. And I think it's also helped the Packers running backs with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon being able to maybe make those safeties turn back a little bit more and, and not stack the box as much. It always made sense to me the Packers would get back on their winning ways after that losing streak they had earlier this year because of what you mentioned. There's too many good players in that team uh, to, to be that type of team all year long. I think we're kind of seeing that happen here late in the season. And I know a big part of your guys' campaign this year has been injuries to the offensive line, particularly looks like you'll probably be without David Bakhtiari for another week, but... Zach Tom's been a pretty good replacement there at left tackle as well. And the whole line in general, like I, I saw their lineup in the game on Monday and I went and looked at their stats on PFF and like their pressure numbers are really good. How have they been able to accomplish that with all the attrition up front this year? Yeah. So they lost Rashawn Gary, uh, their first round pick uh, three years ago. And, and Rashawn was off to such a great start. He unfortunately tore his ACL in Detroit in week nine. So they've had to kind of get a little bit more creative, you know, with how they use their guys. Last week, you saw Quay Walker, their first round pick, who's an inside backer. You know, he's blitzing off the edge and getting his first career full sack. Uh, Preston Smith dialed up his play, uh, you know, veteran durable. He got two sacks uh, in that game. The five sacks that Green Bay had, that was their most uh, since last year when they played uh, Baker Mayfield in, in Cleveland on Christmas Day. So, uh, they definitely were able to, I think, have young guys step up, but also have some of the vets uh, sort of take things to another level. Now, this is the, one of the things that kind of stinks about uh, this matchup is I'm a huge Taron Armstead fan, always have been, and I love the fact that him and Dave both came out of that 13 draft. I remember being at the Combine when he ran that 4-7-1 and being so impressed by him, taking the league by storm and showing it wasn't just a 40 time. He was a legitimate all pro left tackle and Bakhtiari's of the same, you know, cut coming out of Colorado. People want him to move to center and they end up being arguably one, a one B one, a one, a whatever you want to call them from that draft class. The Packers have, it's just been such a grind for them because Bakhtiari is coming off the knee injury. He looks really good. He's getting back to his all pro form. Then he has an emergency appendectomy 48 hours before they have to travel (laughs) to face the Chicago bears. But Zach Tom time and time again, the kid, you know, he continues to pass uh, all these these hurdles. And to have three starts where it's spot starts, some of them are 90 minutes before the game that he knows he's playing, and he just continually has risen, risen to the occasion. So uh, I think that's going to be the game within the game, seeing how those offensive lines are able to keep their opposing pass rushes at bay. Absolutely. I'm glad you touched on the front seven, too, because, you know, Rashawn Gary, I was a huge fan of his coming out of Michigan. I mean, who wasn't? And the way he's been able to put together a good pro career here has been fun to watch. And on that same side of the ball, I'm a huge Jair Alexander fan, man. I love when guys can play and they can talk, and, and the play backs up the talk as well, as Tyreek Hill tends to, to do a little bit. And talk about a great matchup from both the physical standpoint, but also just kind of the, the jab back and forth and probably the mutual respect they'll have there. How do you think the Packers and Jair Alexander will attack this very deep and very you know talented Dolphins receiving core it's the number one question I have for this game Travis because we've seen him at times uh spell guys or or shadow guys Packers typically haven't done a lot of that though with him Joe Barry their defensive coordinator likes to play sides at times but we have seen it we saw it against Terry McLaurin earlier this year in Washington but you know it also could be on Keyshawn Nixon who's the slot corner that's had to step up he's also their kickoff and punt returner uh when they lost Eric Stokes, their first-round pick from last year, he was out for the season with an ankle and knee injury. It's been mostly Keyshawn now that's had to step up with Rasul Douglas moving outside. Jair now going to his second Pro Bowl. In a lot of ways, he does remind me of, you know, um, Xavier Howard in terms of guys that are at the top of their position, but I think it's taken time for the league to catch on to them 
because of how they can shut down right. opposing receivers. Even this year, I, I don't think Howard's play has really changed much, but he only has one pick because are you getting a ton of opportunities? The fact that Jair has four picks this year is kind of astounding because the first couple of years in the league, teams just stopped throwing at him. They picked other areas of the Packers' defense to attack. So, uh, But trying to match up with Waddle and Hill and in also being, you know, keeping an eye on that backfield is going to be the number one thing the Packers are going to have to check off in this game because as we've seen time and time again, if those guys get loose in the open field, it oftentimes results in six. Yeah, you could see a, a potential shootout here if that's how the game winds up going on Christmas Day, which I'm sure all the national audience will love to see in a pretty fun matchup if you ask me. We end here every single week with this spot, Wes. Uh, the Packers will win if, and then you fill in the blank for us, if you will. Yeah, they have to stop the run. Um, you know the history with Raheem Mostert and the Packers, but also the fact that Mostert's coming off of his best game of the season. I don't know at the time of press time. It sounds like things are looking promising for Jeff Wilson being available too. Packers are well familiar with both of those guys. As much as this thing is going to be about Tua and Hill and Waddle, everybody knows that those are the guys. Those That's what the offense is built around. But if the Packers don't contain the run, it's going to be a long day. That's been an up-and-down battle for Green Bay all season. They did a much better job of it last week against Cam Akers and the Rams, but, you know, you look at some of these other games and they've struggled. So I think if the Packers are able to stop the run, that's going to open up everything for them offensively. They were able to dictate the terms of that game against LA. Over 37 minutes of time of possession in that game, it allowed them to control everything. I feel like that same game plan, as much as things change with this matchup, as much as it's an improved opponent, that has to be at the core of what the Packers are trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun matchup, a really important game for both teams. And on Christmas Day, what more can you ask for? He's Wes Hodkowitz, digital reporter for Packers.com. You can find him on Twitter at Wes Hod. Wes, thank you so much for your time today, man. We'll see you on Christmas Day. All right. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. And away he goes. That's the first time I met Wes, and it was basically like we were lifelong best friends. What a, what a great dude he is. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and do your mailbag questions. That's next, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on a Friday, we're going to hear from the assistant coaches here in just a second. But let's first go ahead and do your mailbag questions. We start here with at Mason Prince TV, who asked, Tyreek is obviously having a career year. What is so beneficial to him in this offense as opposed to the Chiefs? Obviously, they were great and efficient in their own right. Some might say, well, the Chiefs had Kelsey, but the Dolphins have Waddle, who is putting up great numbers too. I think it's a very interesting question. And... One, I think it's a credit to the quarterback and the coach for allowing Tyreek to be able to produce at a level that he hasn't before. But I also, you know, don't think you can like say that either way is necessarily the preferred way because he's just produced whatever type of system you've put him in. A player who's been great the minute he entered the NFL, Pro Bowl in all seven seasons. And you got me thinking on this to pull up some numbers to see if there might be some glaring differences in terms of depth of target and, you know, yards per target, things like that. And my first thought was maybe that depth of target was way deeper, but it's not. It's literally this year at his career average. Now, last year was down a bit, and that might have been where some of the disconnect came from because Tyreek, not in the same way that Waddle was last year, but he was definitely more of a possession type of short catch and run type of guy last year. And that's why he had career high in catches, but not as many yards and touchdowns as he used to. Uh, but it was 10.6 that year, and it was 12 this year. But it was also 12.9 in 2020 and 11.9 in 2018. So that's pretty commonplace for him. 
But then also last year, 182 targets in the passing game. Right now he has 149. If you prorate 149 over three more games, which is 10.6 targets per game, you wind up with 181. So literally the exact same, well, not literally one less, but you get the idea. So I think what you've got here is quite simply an elite player, one of the best to ever do it, just producing at a level that you're pretty accustomed to, but going a little bit beyond what you're used to because there's a big nod to the quarterback who's putting the ball in great spots, great location. And look, we're not going to get into uh, Tua versus Patrick Mahomes right now, but Tua's ball placement has always been his superpower. Mahomes is great. That's not his best trait. And so I think that's kind of where Tua makes up some ground in that competition between those two quarterbacks. Obviously, Pat has achieved a lot and done a lot of high, high, uh, achieved a lot at a high level, I should say in big time, high leverage situations, but Tua's ball placement and getting the ball out early, he's as good as anybody at those two things. And so it maximizes Tyreek's ability to run through those zones and run through those spots and against the defense. And that's a big nod to the player, to Tyreek, to the head coach, to Mike McDaniel and your quarterback for keeping a generational talent right in line with the production that he enjoyed under what was, you know, a future hall of fame head coach and Andy Reid and a future hall of fame quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Not bad for a first-year head coach and a 24-year-old quarterback to help that receiver get to that production. Next question from at Andrew McGuire. If you were able to pick who Miami matches up with in the playoffs, which team do you think Miami matches up with best and why? Well, first, obligatory message here that one game at a time, right? But we are fans, and so it doesn't really matter uh, if we look ahead a little bit. But I really think you ideally move up as high as you can. Uh, any playoff matchup is going to be tough, obviously, but if you wind up in that seven seed, you're very likely facing either Buffalo, Kansas City, or Cincinnati on the road. As the six seed, you probably get one of those guys too, unless the Ravens you know, take back the AFC North over these final three games. But given how hot the Bengals are and the quarterback situation for the Ravens, I don't think that will happen. Then if you can improve to the five seed, look, we all get it. That's where you want to be, right? You need to win out and get some help. You need the Chargers and Ravens to both lose one game and for Miami to get to 11 and six to get that fifth seed. Then you get the winner of the AFC South, which is what all three of those teams, they, that's what they want. If that's the Titans, that could be a fun storyline after the way that 2021 game went, but they're awfully banged up, including Ryan Tannehill possibly missing the rest of the season. And if you watch the Titans this year, the drop-off from Tannehill to, to a rookie quarterback has been <laughs> uh, has been more than vast. So I really think it's going to be Jacksonville and the South. And that's a cool storyline, too, because, one, you get to stay in state against you know a team from Florida, which is pretty neat, all things considered, especially when everybody else in the playoffs is either from a northern state or from Kansas City where it's cold as hell, too. Not that Miami can't play in those conditions, but preferable, right? Especially if you're covering the game, too. It's fun to be in a warmer, warmer uh, climate. Uh, but number two... We all remember the 1999 playoffs. I think it'd be really cool to see Miami have a chance to go avenge that loss 23 years later and give us a different playoff memory inside that building. Third question here, at Hassan Patel, are you a big believer in EPA per play? I love that stat. That that one and win probability added are a couple of my favorite uh, like advanced metrics. I think any stat can be tremendously flawed in short sample size. Like one given play... You know, I know the EPA will track like a bust in coverage for a long touchdown pass. So like doesn't really measure the overall like quality of the play, I think. But it's one of those stats where over the course of a season, it will typically jive in terms of the player ranking with what the film would tell you. Like the categories that I personally like the most are are the ones that I think measure success most accurately. And again, no number ever tells the full story, but one that lists Mahone's 
Allen, Burrow, Tua, Hertz, the guys who are having the best seasons, I like those stats. Like EPA per play ranks go like this this year. Mahomes, Tua, Allen, like probably three of the, the three highest producing quarterbacks this year in the NFL besides Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, you're probably like, what? But those guys have had good years when they played. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, there he is. Trevor Lawrence, uh, Geno Smith, and Dak Prescott. Like that's, that's a pretty good argument for the 10 best quarterback seasons right now in the NFL in 2022. Maybe some slight variance, but those guys show up consistently in stats like QBR, passer rating, net yards per attempt, completion percentage over expected, things like that. So love that stat, Hassam. I love all stats that give you a good picture of, of what's happening on tape. That's kind of how I that's how I validate stats is does it match what I see on tape? How about a bonus question here from at Marcos Vieira on our podcast network here. Our, our Portuguese-speaking podcast on the network, the Brazilian folks. Uh, sorry the World Cup didn't go the way you guys wanted to. I remember talking about that with you guys in the podcast. I was hoping they'd pull it out. But he asks, how's the adaptation to a second baby in the middle of a meaningful football season? <laughs> well, first, my wife is a rock star, so it's pretty easy on me. I learned with the first baby that there's only so much that dad can do early on, right? Because, you know, I'm really more of a support role, like the supporting actress or supporting actor. And you know, I can do things like, you know, feed him in the middle of the night with a bottle. But if you're a dad, you know, the kiddo wants the real thing. But where I think I've really brought my A game is just stepping up another level with Caroline. I'm on top of all of her needs, making sure that she's still getting the same number of attention, same amount of attention, I should say, going to the park, going on walks, going out to meals together, just the two of us, just letting my wife really focus on little Cam, our little boy. So it's been an adjustment. I enjoyed the couple of hours of decompressed time I got at the end of every single day after Caroline went to bed. That now is pretty much gone. So eh, some sacrifices you have to make, but it's, it's worth it. Let's go ahead and take our first break, or I should say our last break right here. We'll come back on the other side and hear from the assistant coaches, Josh Boyer, Frank Smith, Matt Applebaum, and Wes Welker. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We pick it back up here with assistant coaches audio. We're going to start with Josh Boyer, who spoke to the media on Thursday and was asked first about Christian Wilkins not making the Pro Bowl, talking about how many guys there are that are deserving that uh, probably feel they should have had a chance to get into. Here's coach talking about Christian Wilkins this season in general beyond the Pro Bowl vote. Let your play on the field. You know, I, I think sometimes stats get involved in that stuff. Uh, I think Christian, he's been a huge part of our defense this year. I think he's having a really good year. I think he's improved each year he's been here, and I think he's only getting better. I think he's a phenomenal football player. He's made big plays for us this year, and I think he's a great teammate, um, and he's been a good captain. Uh, So, you know, nothing but good things uh, about Christian Wilkins. I wanted to follow up with Coach and ask him about Christian Wilkins' tackle production since it's so – Honestly, rare for a defensive tackle to be able to pile up as many solo and combined tackles as he has. Just eight away from breaking his own record for the most all-time among all defensive tackles. Here's Coach on Christian Wilkins' tackle production this season. I I think he's doing a good job of defeating blocks, seeing the play, and then shedding at the correct time. Because there's a lot of times that you could defeat a block, especially at that position. And if you shed too early, like the backs in this league, they're they're too good. They'll, They'll make you miss. I think Christian has, has timed that up uh, very well. And I think the times that we've put him on the move, he's been able um, to penetrate, get into gaps, and make plays. Finishing up here with Coach Boyer, he was asked about the challenges of quarterbacks that excel maybe more off schedule than they do on schedule. And the challenge of that, 
Here's Coach Boyer. Yeah, so uh, a lot of that is is you try to keep them where they can't get off script. And then when they do, you have to have coverage rules that apply, um, you know, and like, you know, if you're in man coverage, you, you have to finish your coverage, even though it's like, okay, the timing should be off here, but it, it's not, you know, you have to finish. And then if you're zone, you, you have to have rules where um, you plaster to receivers and then, um, you know, and make sure that, uh, you know, and then you, you put a plan in place to where you, you try to limit those plays the best you can. Next, we heard from Dolphins offensive coordinator Frank Smith, who was asked about the kind of behind-the-scenes detail behind putting together the game plan with Mike McDaniel. Barry Jackson asked this great question, and he, he basically laid it out like, is it like this? Is it like that? How do you do it? And Coach uh, kind of cut to it and said, it's not that complex, you know, really. And here he explains to you the game plan process for the offense with Frank Smith and Mike McDaniel. Uh, sorry to let you down. It's not that. Uh, it's not that like complex. It's normally like Monday. Uh, you know, you kind of start off just trying to figure out who the defense is, right? The, what makes them work schematically, uh, the history of them, the corner, all just information of the defense, who they are, how they, uh, how they play as far as the front end, the back end, coverage principles, through situational football, all that, and then on Tuesday is normally in the morning. Uh, we're starting to come together with ideas for concepts, overriding principles that we like. Um, and then really at some point in the morning, depending upon uh, with uh, Mike's schedule or you know when it is, just some point in the morning we get together and we start the process to build the game plan through um, pretty much the morning into, I don't know, dinner time, maybe sometimes a little later, depending on how much fun we're having. Um, but oh yeah, overall, I think it's collective. I mean, I've been part of places where the, you know, uh, different elements to it. People start on Mondays. We just feel like for us that what we like to do start on Monday, really, you know, getting to figure out who the defense is and how do they operate. Got a really good one here from Coach talking about Tua Tungavailoa and his development as an off-script, off-structure, you know, off-schedule type of quarterback. Here's the Dolphins' OC on yeah, the Dolphins' um, QB. I think ultimately uh, we've been very pleased with how he's played, um, and. Uh, the season is always full of just learning opportunities for, for him and for all players. I mean, for, for all people involved in the game. And um, we've been very pleased with how he's played. You know, he's always responded. He's learned. He's grown, which is, I mean, a 17-game season uh, is a very long time, plus the preseason, plus training camp. Um, so really it's there's ebbs and flows, especially, you know, when you're a younger player, you know, and obviously this is a new system for him. So... I think ultimately, overall, um, the way he's played, the way he's carried himself, the way he works with his teammates, I mean, we couldn't be more uh, happy to have him here and keep, you know, have him as our quarterback. Like I asked, um, I asked uh, Mike about this yesterday, and I was curious to get your perspective. Mm-hmm. In terms of third and short um, execution or conversion rate, the offense is, is last. Um, you've thrown or you've dropped back about you know, twice as many times as run. I was just curious, what is stuck out in terms of the situation that third and short presents or the execution where you guys just haven't been as successful as third and medium, third and long, which you're top half in the league? Yeah, I think the that's an area that we've uh, really tried to emphasize, uh, trying to get better at, all right, because, you know, last week we were able to convert uh, running the ball, all right. We felt that the opportunities presented with throwing the ball were obviously uh, – um, you know, advantageous looks to throw it, right? Didn't a- a- absolutely get exactly what we thought would play out on the play. But I think, you know, ultimately when it comes to, like, you know, execution areas, you're not doing as well as you want on it. It starts with us as coaches. Like, are we, 
making sure that we're all on the same page with it? Are we making sure that we're uh, getting the right looks for the guys, making sure it all comes together? Because uh, for us to grow in an area, we all got to be connected. We all got to be communicating. And um, I think that for us, right, to go where we want to go, it's an area that we know we can improve, and we're really trying to make sure we uh, you know, focus on it for the rest of the regular season. That was a Marcel Louis Jock question. I always love when he asks a question because I know it's well thought out and it's probably going to get a good answer back. Just like this next one here, when he was at when he asked Coach Smith about Mike McDaniel's demeanor when things are going well, five game winning streak compared to when they're not going right and a three game losing streak. Here's Frank Smith on Mike McDaniel's even even keel demeanor. Yeah, the great leaders again. It goes back to results and process. I mean, great leaders know that it's a long season, and if you're going to let um, uh, slump in the middle or success because the other one is ultimately too is that you know as you you have the highs and lows right and you're realizing that you know for one minute you can be on top of the world another minute you're everyone's you know you know what's going on I mean I think that's the uh, credit to Mike of just his personality of he understands it's a long road to go um, and that we have a lot of work to do the good the bad is going to come along the way our job is to make sure that we keep improving ourselves, whether it's coaches and players or just really anyone in this organization. We're trying to be our best, and if it wasn't, okay, how can we improve? And I think that's just the way um, you know, he deliberately approaches his days that way, and I think that's a credit to when he uh, talks to the team, he talks to the offense, talks to any individual player, talks to us as a staff, is that he's not looking um, necessarily at – uh, this happened now. It's like, why did it happen now? Okay, and then that's how we make uh, the improvement, and it's um, you know that's why it's ultimately awesome to work here for him because that like the players can recognize it, and we recognize it as a staff because there's not a roller coaster of one moment to the next. It's very much we're on a process right as we're going through the season, and uh, that's the best part about working with him. Every week we get great detail here from these coaches talking about this team and these players. Up next, offensive line coach Matt Applebaum was asked about Teron Armstead and managing the nicks and bruises that he goes through in a season along that offensive line, playing through multiple injuries this season, something he's done really his entire career, and you know he's, he's upfront about that. But here's Matt Applebaum talking about Liam, not Liam, uh, Liam's in the previous question, about Teron Armstead and his ability to play through this and, and kind of the veteran aspect of it the group but I mean so a guy's played for a long time he knows his body he knows what he can do what he can't do what something might hinder him from being able to do and the adjustments that he'd have to make to get a guy blocked which at the end of the day is the only thing that really matters working yeah. with Teron this year has it just amazed you that the number of body parts he has had affected and he's still playing through it and playing it on yeah I mean for sure I mean especially you know for myself coming from you know been being in the college game for a while you certainly aren't dealing with a lot of guys that are in their 30s and, and you know, the accumulation of injuries. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's certainly setting a, a standard in my, in my mind for how an older player, a veteran should approach his business. So it's been awesome. I saw Teron at lunch today and talked to him about this play a little bit. And I told him, you know, I asked Coach about the play where you flipped and spun back inside and picked up Tremaine Edmonds in the Buffalo game. And he, he kind of told me, like, I don't know how I saw that guy, but or if I even did see him, and just kind of talked me through it. And so uh, here's Matt Applebaum with that same question, that play that I put on Twitter 
where Tehran flips back inside and does a total, you know, zone turn like a cornerback would to turn back into the interior pocket and take away the immediate pressure first. Here's uh, Matt Applebaum on Tehran Armstead's awareness and that particular play. Um, <laughs> he's a funny guy, man. I mean, he's so he, he, he's so good at like rehashing what happened out there because he's just seen everything and like he was even laughing about it himself. And uh, that's certainly not um, the. Uh, way that that protection installed perhaps um but that's just a great player uh reacting in the moment and getting his job done in a way that not not a lot of guys could do how about robert hunt what have you seen from him coach from the time you saw him your first day here when you went back and watched his sophomore season tape compared to what he's done 14 games into year three here's coach applebaum on robert hunt I mean, you know, Big Rob is a um, obviously a talented guy. He's really big and physical, um, and I think he's taken that part of his game to another level, um, just the physicality, play in, play out. And then I think he's improved a lot on his footwork and pass protection um, and being comfortable on what we're asking him to do from a technique perspective. So, I mean, I think his game is continuing to improve a lot. We're going to go ahead and finish up with one answer here from Wes Welker. He was asked about how much he enjoys seeing you know, smaller receivers comparatively to other guys across the league, like, you know, DK Metcalf, for instance, but how physical these Dolphins receivers are, despite the fact that by NFL standards, they're not big players. Absolutely, because you see how defenses have to play us. Um, We're getting two-man a lot on first and second down. Nobody does that. Um, You don't see that around the league. Um, So I, I think just the way that defenses have to prepare for us and if you want to play single safety, go ahead. And, you know, they, we, those two guys are, are very, very hard matchups for anybody. Um, the best corners in the league, all them. So, um, you know, we, we rely on those guys heavily whenever they want to take away uh, any of our run game or play post safety that, you know, they, they got to make sure they're, they're bringing their A game. And, um, but most teams are going to have to play too high and make sure they keep things in front of them, which opens up our whole offense. All right, that's my time here on this edition of the podcast. We'll be back with you guys on Sunday for the recap pod, Dolphins and Packers. Also, I'll be back on the postgame show on 560 WQAM with Seth Levitt, OJ McDuffie. With that in mind, go ahead and check out the Fish Tank podcast with those guys, as well as our Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Also, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Haven't had some of those in a while, so go ahead and pump those back up for the holidays. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the YouTube channel, Media Availabilities, Dolphins Today, Fish Tank Drive Time content, and last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy's coming home.